0: Welcome to this week's True House Stories. I'm Lenny Fontana coming out of New York City. And like I said, this man is one of the hardest, if not the hardest working man in show business in this dance music industry. As a DJ myself and as well as him, I've seen him all over the world, traveling from continent to continent, jumping back out of, in and out of New York, in the studio, out of the studio, there was a time, I remember, he was remixing probably every day, if I remember correctly, back in the 90s, remixing like crazy every major label record that had that Louis Vegan, that Masters of Work sound, and then you would catch him on a Wednesday night playing an underground network, firing out new hit records that were coming out, not just from himself, but also as the DJ, he'd be promoting a lot of our stuff, too, and he helped make a lot of careers happen along the way, and we have to Thank him for that as well, because his DJing is is a tremendous attribute to what he does, aside from the prolific catalog of Louis Vega as the writer, producer, Grammy winner, and now Grammy nominated again. Congrats again. So we like to welcome Mr. Louis Vega. Thank you, Lou. Welcome, brother. <laughs> I know I have no background crowd. <laughs> yeah, where, where's my crowd
1: at? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: And again, thanks again for doing it. Um, um, where do we begin? With? So, so much to cover with you. God, let's just start simple. You know, young kid, we know you have a mom and dad. I've asked this question from all my friends and artists that come on. Where does music find a young Louis Vega?
1: Well, you know, uh, first of all, on the radio. You know, we used to listen to uh, WABC, of course. and um, and that was a great time because that was a time when uh, pop music was Earth, Wind & Fire, El- uh, Elton John. You know what I'm saying? It was uh, all of our favorites uh, that we play now and, and um, you know, with, with the classics and stuff. But um, Stevie Wonder, you know, um, it was just a, a, a wonderful time with music. And, and I think a lot of us at that, in that era, we, uh, we were kind of an old soul you know young kids hearing this sophisticated sound but you know we were loving it you know what i'm saying it was it was our, it was our thing it's funny because when you know when you're a kid you know my parents always listened to like fania records and and all the latin music and stuff and and um you know i i went more uh towards listening to uh the soul sound on on radio but as well hearing that at home you know so um for me, there was a lot going on, you know, there, there was my father playing uh, a tenor, tenor sax, you know, Uh, um, he, he played jazz and he, he was in, in bands and, um, he also played, uh, salsa music. So I heard him rehearsing at home and listening to Miles Davis and John Coltrane, you know, Charlie Parker. I mean, you know, those were his favorites and, um, you know, uh, at the same time, my sisters were, uh, disco queens, you know what I'm saying? But at that time, you're talking early 70s, you know, my o- older sister, uh, one of my older sisters, Myrna, uh, I mean, she went to the Loft in like 71, I believe it was. So, you know, she's been in the scene for many years and bringing home that music. And as well, after her, Edna, uh, who was my other sister, who's a little younger than Myrna, uh, she went to the Paradise Garage and 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 the Loft as well and all these places. So all that music was, you know... Uh, running through my ears when I was a kid just you know six seven eight years old and um you know it was just uh about running down to that record store two blocks away because I'm from the Bronx you know um lived on Stratford (laughs) Avenue and um on Westchester Avenue which was like a block away two blocks from my grandmother's house and one block from my mom's house I used to run down there and always go to hear this new sound disco that was you know, at coming out at the time, I was like, you know, nine, ten years old, you know, um, and then buying some of the old soul records, you know, what I mean, Booker T and the MGs and, and all this stuff. I was buying 45s. So uh, I wasn't DJing, obviously, at that age, but I was uh, into music already and, and starting to buy it. You know, then it wasn't until I met um, a friend of mine that lived on the same block. When I hung out with him, uh, we used to go to, uh, where he lived in his apartment. And, um, we went into his big brother's room. Yeah. And the big brother, he had the turntables. He had the GLI 9,000. He had the break. Oh, wow. Okay. You know, he had the break beats and we were like, wow, what is this? This is great. And then when, you know, the big brother was not there, we were listening to all the break beats. And at the same time, you know, there were block parties happening. Do you and, know, do you know can you date the year that was about you would, we're talking now um 76 77 okay around there i was about 11 12 years old and um you know um 76 What i was 11 10 11 years old and um when uh we would listen to the break beats it was like, oh, let's do like the, the guys do, uh, the DJs do on the block parties because we used to go to the, you know, the block parties were right down on the street there, you know, happening in the summertime. And we would hear the DJs extending these, you know, the, the breaks of the song. So we knew what, we kind of listened to what they were doing. And then we heard these records and we were like, oh, that's what they're doing. And then we would try to do it there. You know, whatever little time we got in that bedroom, you know, to be on that little system with, with, uh, with uh, you know, with the break beats, we were trying to extend them you know, and um, make them longer. Right. You know, whether it's mixing them or cutting them, you know, and 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 that's pretty much uh, how it started, man. But I was always listening to music on the radio and um there was a jazz station. I can't remember. Was it WWRL? I can't remember exactly. Of course, WBLS was.
0: Yeah, WBLS was know, hot in New York, York at that time.
1: WBLS. Yeah. WBLS. And there was another station near that area. I can't, uh, um, on the dial tone, uh, but I can't remember the name of WWRLs. That's all right. That's, that was
0: another station. Yeah. That, that, that private station that they were getting grants from everybody. Yes.
1: It was so cool because you were hearing like Eddie Palmieri and then you would hear like a jazz record. I mean, but you would hear war, you know, and, and on that station you would hear that kind of stuff. And I was like, wow, I like this station. You know, my brother-in-law used to listen to that. My Myrna's uh, ex-husband and, um, I'll never forget uh, the, the, the music I heard there was just blowing me away, you know, cause I didn't hear that on the pop stations. Right. Um, WABC, you know what I'm saying? And then on WBLS, you heard, you know, amazing, you know, soul music, R&B, everything, you know, and you had uh, later on Frankie Crocker and you know, or even during that time. Right. Um, and um, you know, it was just so rich in music, you know, and as a kid, even at, I mean, we were so lucky to experience that music at such a young age, you know, um, because I think that had a lot to do with who we are today.
0: Oh, 100%. 100%. I think a lot of us chase that dream in our heads still. We're still chasing that dream, like when we remember what we heard when we were kids.
1: You You know, know, well, 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 I think that we try to keep that spirit alive. I definitely do when I make music. I try to keep that spirit alive. And for me, it's all about if... uh, the music touches you you know you you get chills when you hear it and it does something like that to you when it does something like that to me in, in a studio and then I take it to a club and play it and it does something like that to the people uh it it really uh is an emotional thing for me you know and I try to keep that spirit of what I grew up with within my music today whether it's you know just to bare track or or a full-on production.
0: So for people who don't know, do you have formal musical training?
1: Well, you know, my father being a musician, um, of course, he's like, uh, I want you to take piano lessons. I'm like, okay. And then, um, <laughs> Okay, you <know>. right. Okay. <laughs> <From> <laughs> ages, uh, ages six to 11, I took uh, classical piano. You okay. Know, a child. Uh, That's when, I in, when I was in school, I also, I played violin. Uh, so uh, I, I was in a glee club, you know what I'm saying? I, I kind of started getting more involved in music in any way that I can in school. You know, I don't really talk about that, but I did do those things when I was a kid.
0: But you have to understand, Louis, people are so impressed with what you do, bro. So unless they're on your shoulder and watch, they don't really know. So that's why I ask my friends, you know, how how extensive is the musical training? Because to be, I always felt to be really good at what you do, you must have to understand some part of it, musically speaking to be really good at it, you know?
1: Oh, definitely, man. You you know, you want to learn as much as you can. Uh, To me, if I could do it all over again, I would want to, I would wish that I would learn, kept with the music after age 11, because there was a gap between 11 and 22 where uh, I was just into other things. You know, you're talking about going to discos, going to clubs, roller skating. I was a heavy, I was a full-on roller skater, like five, six days a week, for four years straight. I'm talking about, I really went out like that. You know, I love the music and I went to clubs at the same time. So, um, uh, for me, uh, growing up with those things, uh, really, uh, it, it was kind of practice for me, you know what I mean? With, 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 uh, with music. Uh, but when I played the piano, yeah, it taught me about pitch. I know when a singer is not singing on, you know what I'm saying? I know, when something's flat, when something's sharp, you know, I learned those kind of things, you know what I mean? I'm not super heavy. I didn't, you know, I can read music a little bit, but I don't, I'm not a heavy reader, you know? Um, of course I, I should be, but, um, later on, um, I needed those things, you know what I mean? So I said to myself, wow, I should have hung on with it. But then, um, when I, uh, when I was in my mid twenties, uh, I went back to the piano lessons again.
0: Oh, you did. Okay.
1: I did. I did. And um, I had some of the greats, you know, teach me piano because by that time I started in uh, in the early 90s, I, I would say 1990, 89, 90, I started already um, um, meeting a lot of people in the business. So uh, I want to say a big thank you to Oscar Hernandez from the Spanish Hall of Orchestra, who was my piano teacher oh, wow. and, and Ricky Gonzalez, who was uh, uh did a lot of arrangements and 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 worked with Ray Barretto a lot. He was my piano teacher as well, and they taught me a lot. To this day, I still have the sheets that they wrote out, oh, you wow. know, for me. You know, uh, music theory and, and stuff that that I I gave to my son now, and he's you know he's gone through it. You know what I'm saying? So um, legacy maybe, continues, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: Now I remember you had. You were also part of IDRC, if I remember correctly. Okay, now and also I remember you played in the Bronx because I was a short shot member. Short I worked I was with Bobby Davis. I remember you were playing a lot. So I remember you were playing the Bronx. So let's take us from high school. I know the high school gap to DJing wasn't long because you were quite young. I remember when you got your first breaks.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, you're talking early eighties, nineteen eighty. Uh I, um, even the late 70s, because I started playing at what, like 13 years old, 12, 13, around there. And um, there was a DJ, another DJ in my neighborhood. His name was Raul, and um, he had a great disco collection. And I loved, uh, at the time, you know, remember it was the mid 70s to, 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 to late 70s, that was the, forget about oh, it. All, the all about it, all about disco. And he had like 10 crates, and I was like, wow all this music in here. He just had great taste in music. And so um, what, what I did was I started kind of hanging out with him and, and um, helping him because he was a mobile DJ and he would do sweet 16s and weddings. So I said, you know what, let me help him. And, you know, I, I can help you. I'll carry the records. I'll help you set up, you know, and everything and stuff like that. And, and in return, you know, he would loan me. I would say, could I, could I borrow for two weeks, just borrow your turntables, your mixer, and and two crates of records. Let me pick the songs that I like, and that's what I did. That's how I started. You know what I'm saying? And, and from there, um, I think that's what gave me a lot of, uh, you know, the way I mix disco music, especially you know, you know, I'm talking about the records from back in the days, the, you know, the, the full on live things, not not the ones that we've gritted and and made it a lot easier to mix. It's, it's all good there and everything, but those records, I learned from that. You know, right. what I'm saying from the pure uh, uh, twelve inches that came out back in those days, and um, you know, barring it for two weeks here and there, is what really gave me those chops to 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 listen to music and listen to the arrangements and and hear the breaks and and you know and extending them and and hearing the songs when they speed up when they slow down because you know you're talking about live musicians you know it wasn't like a drum machine you know, back in those days. So um, I just really enjoyed it. And I said, man, I love doing this. I really love doing this. And and uh, little by little, I, as I was doing the mobile gigs, making a little money here, a little money there, getting your allowance. And, and next thing you know, I bought a set of tables and you know, turntables and um, and uh, my own mixer, you know. Um, was it
0: 1200? So what did you want them to get? What was the first setup?
1: I believe it was SLD ones. That sound right? That's not right. Well, the B ones with bell drives. Uh-huh.
0: And the D ones are the direct, but the, the platters were small.
1: The- when you turn it, when you turn, you know, yeah. you, you know up that one. That's the one I had. And um <laughs> Yes. You know, it, it was a Gemini mixer because I couldn't afford the GLI 9000s and all that.
0: I had- that was like, you had to have big money for that stuff back then, bro.
1: You know, come on. And then and then I had another friend who had these amazing Serwin Vega speakers. And he he he's the one that he actually gave me his turntables and those were my first 1200s. It was about 81, somewhere around there. And I had these, uh, this big Serwin Vega. It was so dope. It had like an 18 inch woofer and uh, a mid range and a tweeter and, or two tweeters. And, um, I used that to play music in the early eighties and, um, just to mix every single day, you know, that I could, you know, um, and, um, That's it from there. Uh, you know, started doing those parties with with, with some friends of mine in the neighborhood. Uh, one of them was uh, John Gungi Rivera. He is, oh,
0: yeah, John Gungi, another legendary.
1: Yeah, he, um, we started together a long time ago and we were doing these parties at the YMCA and uh, we were bringing like 1100 people, you know, and we're like, wow. And but at that time, I was already doing high school parties, you know, at Stevenson High School in the Bronx. Gotcha. And um and and some other high schools and and some Sweet 16s. And it's crazy because those kids that were in those parties, they were started to follow me wherever I played. If I was doing another party somewhere else, those kids from that YMCA or from that YMCA party or from those from the Stevenson High School parties or from some of those Sweet 16s would go to these places and we say, Man, we we better start, you know, let's let's do some more parties like this, you know. And um, you know, as I started doing um, more and more parties. The people, it was growing. You know, you're talking about the Bronx. mouth swinging it back to to the uh, sure record pool. Yep. You know, um, hey, you know, all this is happening at the same time. There's so much more even happening that I can't get to, but I'm trying to. Um, there it's was a long neighbor, time
0: ago. <laughs> another a- na-
1: another neighbor of mine. His name was Lenny. You know, he had a Paradise Garage membership. He went to the Paradise Garage. And I always remember he had this Camaro. It was so dope, his car. And he had a great sound system. And he would play in his sound system steely dan like he loved steely dan and i would just ride around with him in the car and listen to steely dan like in the weird hours of the night you know it was crazy he we was just so into music and he says you know i'm i'm the member of this club called a paradise garage you know i want to take you there louis because you know it, it's crazy because a lot of the people that were around me whether it was my sisters my neighbors my friends you know that were older they saw how ambitious i was and how passionate i was about this that they tried in any way to help you know to you know introduce me to something that might spark up more stuff you know what i mean so i want to take you to the garage you know i i you know you're really young you're only 15 but i could i think i could get you in on a membership night you know and 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 my sister edna was already going there this is this is 1980 so my my sister edna had a cousin there you know you know um uh, who worked at the garage, you know? Um, and, um, we got in, they got me in. I was like this little kid. Imagine if I'm, you know, little literally. Kind of, like that me. 15 years old, I'm like some, I looked like I was 12, you know right. what I'm saying? When I was 16, <laughs> you know? So, but I got in, I was like, wow, I'm with them, you know? And, um, you know, uh, the same guy, Lenny introduced me to Bobby Shaw from Shaw record pool. And, and Bobby Shaw was nice enough to give me records. You know, some of the, a lot of those promos, you know, because when, 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 I was starting it at that time. So I had a lot of friends. I had another friend who his brother owned a record pool on Castle Hill. Uh, what's it called? On, on, VIP? On, on... Al no, Not VIP, the other one. Um, I'm
0: trying to remember. I don't remember all the Bronx. I knew
1: Al Pizarro too. I knew Al Pizarro too. I know you oh. do. I know
0: this is all the old names. I, I, don't, do. I don't remember the other guy in the Bronx.
1: Hernandez. Hernandez is the last name.
0: Len? No Lem worked
1: with you at DRC? No, not Lem. Not Lem. That's oh. way later. I'm talking about way back. Um, yeah, actually, my friend's name, I believe, was Lem too in 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 high school. And um, he, his older brother, owned that record pool in Castle Hill. That I don't know. Okay. Well, um, in that record pool, he, he his brother gave him his younger brother a ton of records. Who was my friend, and he gave me records that I still have today. I'm talking about early it was my early 80s. We're talking about, you know, Denver and Morgan. Right. We we're talking about um, Land of Hunger, like all those records that came out at that time, you know, um, Situation, you know, all that stuff. And and he, you know, a lot of, like I said, a lot of people were helping me out because they saw I was really into it. And I didn't have money like that to be dropping the box. Bro,
0: you had the eye of the tiger. I remember when I first met you, man. You had the eye. You had the, still have it. But back then, it was a different eye. It was a different world back then. We were all hunger, hungry to get that chance. So go ahead. Take us in that Bronx role. Keep going. <laughs> no, we're doing- Bro, that's we- tough. Man. You got to give it to us. You got to teach. <laughs>
1: go ahead. Well, we're doing it in the Bronx. You know, a lot of my friends, you know, like I said, Lenny uh introduced me to, to- to Bobby Shore, you had my friend from high school introducing me to his big brother, who had uh, the record for Castle Hill, and um, you know, uh, just kept on putting together parties and doing things. And eventually, um, I did a few parties with Gungi. We did, we did a handful of parties together, and then I I went and uh, tried to do this party at a a club in on street called zariga in the Bronx, and that club was the only club in the Bronx that had a Richard Long sound system It had a Richard Long sound system but the club was closed because it was that thing when disco you know the whole thing with disco yep. happened there was a little period when a lot of these clubs closed they didn't they didn't make it through the business or whatever and you know it was just lying dormant there and um, but the system was still there so we went to meet the owner to see the place and I was like, wow this is a Richard Long system we're talking 80 83 84 now. Right, eighty four. So um, I couldn't believe that it was the same guy who made the system in the Paradise Garage. He made this like little spot up in the Bronx. I was like, no way. It's
0: not and possible, you say, right? You think yeah, it's
1: not possible? The speakers were there. I saw them. So then, um, and the, the the I remember the, the the crossover everything. So anyway, so um, I mean, I'm not sure if he went and built that there, but his signature was there. Gotcha. You know, and, and it sounded dope. So um, anyway, I did, I did a party there in 84. Uh, and uh, by that time, I was already playing from disco to earlys, uh, 80s electro to hip-hop, you know, um, DOR, the new wave sound. I was playing. That's old, right. DOR.
0: dance oriented rock, everyone. Yeah, I, yeah remember, remember that? Rock. Dance. I told Z that he knows. DOR, dance oriented rock. You had yeah, to play yeah, it in those days. That was what the Clash. All those records fit in that.
1: We loved it. We loved it, man. It loved was great music. Right. It was great music. So, and it still is. So, you know, uh, did this party and um, my sister, uh, who I said went to the loft back in '71, she had a hair shop. She's a uh, um, um, beautician.
0: Uh,
1: a beautician. Okay. So um, she owned a place up in uh, near Holy Cross, which is on Sound View uh, in the Bronx. Uh, so we. Use their place to sell tickets to the event that we were doing in Zariga Avenue. So that was like the base for people to buy tickets. You know, there was no internet, there was nothing like that. You know, you promote with flies and you say tickets available here, and they got to go there to buy it. Right. Next thing you know, we sold about, what, uh, 700, 800 tickets to this place.
0: So you're running like Ticketron out of your sister's spot.
1: parties. <laughs> <laughs> like a ticket try He's like, yo,
0: go to the, my sister's spot and get the tickets over there. Got you. Oh, okay. it is. Like 84, man. 212. So- <laughs> yeah. In those days, it was one area code 212. They didn't have no 718 yet. It was 212 everywhere.
1: <laughs> right, right. Look at that. So, um, you know, uh, we did this party, and I said, you know what, I got to get an artist who... Uh, perform uh, and at that time you know, uh, it was the early very beginnings of, of uh, Latin hip hop freestyle which is a uh, music that kind of was born in around that time, 84, um, 85 and there was one song called Please Don't Go, it was on Fever Records and it was uh, written and produced by Andy Panda Fred McFarlane played on it he played piano right. on it And uh, Niobe was the lead singer, and um, the owner of the label, Fever Records, is Sal Abatello. So I was able to book Niobe to perform there. And when I did, Sal Abatello saw this place and he saw these kids. It was packed, you know, 1,700 kids. And he says, We got to get this kid, man, to play in our club. You know, and I didn't know he was opening up a club. And then he said, Hey, I'm opening up. You know, I have this club that I'm just, just opened, or it was opening, or something like that. Or um, and I'm um, looking for DJs, and I think we would be great for it. I said okay, and then um, from there, I went to go see the club, and um, I started playing on Friday nights. Okay, I started playing on Friday nights, all those kids, because we was, you know, we you know, we was hungry out there from bone and letting kids know, yo, we're gonna be here. And remember, these are the same kids that were in the high schools and the Sweet Sixteens in right. the early eighties. They were a little bit older now they you know got their little style going on Jobs, dancing, <laughs> their thing that you know what i'm saying you know. and um they just flew down to the devil's nest and it, it, that's the name of the club was called the devil's nest so we're talking 85 now and club opened up to a whirlwind of people there was already people going there but when i went there this other group of people went there. It was really uh, packed out the spot, and um, you know, um, at the same time, and, and when I met Andy Panda and and, and Abatello, it was Andy Panda who introduced me to the Latin Rascals, you know, um, because uh, they were. Can you tell? A- can
0: you tell the people who's the Latin Rascals? The names of the guys, so they know. Because yes.
1: yes, Andy Panda is a songwriter and producer who who produced probably the earliest Latin hip hop freestyle record, Latin hip hop and freestyle was a movement of music uh, that came from the Bronx. It was, you know, um, and the boroughs too Brooklyn everywhere. But you know, I was playing at the club that introduced that music to everyone put it that way i was in this club you know because Niobe was there she did one of the early ones you had lisa lisa nicole jam what i want if i take you home you had the early 80s sound the whole shannon and electro uh, sound that jellybean was playing you know um so there's a new crew of kids that are making music and then you had the latin rascals who were amazing djs on the radio they were doing these edits and you know they came up with a with a with the style of editing that was so incredible and creative, it was not easy to do that. Not everybody could do that. There was a handful of guys that would do that, you know, at that time. You know, but the Latin Rascals were one of the uh, pioneers of it, of, of the kind of mixes they used to do on the radio. You know, they used to spend hours and hours editing, but when you hear the way they edited, it was it was art, you know. So well put. I met um, the Latin Rascals. Uh, through Andy Panda and when we all got together we were like oh they, they started they were like oh we're making this music we're going to record these artists you know we have uh, Andy Panda and Sal had a group called the cover girls you know uh, Latin was like we're producing this new group called TKA you know what I'm saying um and you know, for me, it was like, oh, my, I met these legends. It was like, you know, the Latin Rascals, damn, you know, I used to love their mixes on the radio. And the, and, and they were doing a lot of work with Arthur Baker at the time, you know, in those uh, earlier years, you know, a couple of years earlier, all through that, you know, that, that time. And um, to meet them and to meet Andy, who wrote this incredible song called Please Don't Go with um, Niobe uh, singing lead um it was just like wow it couldn't get any better than that at the same time i was working in a record pool it's called idrc you know um so like i said you know i'm this hungry kid and you know if there's a little opening there that says oh you want to come check this out you know and it's 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 you could you know you could meet people you can get some music you can uh learn about artists you can see this you know listen i was there you know what i'm saying uh and I didn't even mention Jelly Bean. And Jelly Bean had a lot to do with my early career too. You know what I'm saying? Because uh, you we were know, gonna ask
0: I was gonna get to that in a minute because I was gonna ask about that later about okay, the so we can
1: get back to Keep going, keep going. You're, you're so, doing really good. <laughs> yeah, so you know, um well, okay, the, the the record pool. Um there were these breakdancers that I knew and um and 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 they were working with the record pool because the record pool uh, IDRC they used to do these uh, street jams like you know they used to uh, with Kiss along with the, ra- the radio station one of the big stations for us at that time for New York City was you know Kiss FM ninety eight point seven Kiss FM and um, Eddie Rivera who owned IDRC he used to do all of the uh, the the street the shows. In on, like, black parties, kind of.
0: Right. Live sessions with a lot of artists and stuff,
1: right? Yeah, like, he would bring this flatbed, uh, 18-wheeler flatbed, and that was the stage. (laughs) Boom. On top of that, you put all the speakers, this huge wall of speakers, wall of sound, and then they would put the DJ in front of the, the, uh, the, uh, the the 18-wheeler flatbed thing. Right. Stage. And then on the stage, you had all the artists that performed. So, um, you know, I had met Eddie, Eddie Rivera and the, and the whole IDRC staff, Dennis Rivera and everybody through um, through uh, these breakdancers that brought me out there. They were, you know, uh, I got a shout out Marilyn, who I remember, look at that long time ago. She introduced me to uh, Eddie Rivera and the whole crew. And then from there, um, I became part of the staff. There was about 25, 30 people that would help to put these things together. These these street jams. Oh, Wow. And they were heavily promoted on the radio on Kiss because it was, uh, you know, it was, they were all working together, you know. So Eddie Rivera would promote in the streets and he would also, uh, you know, promote on, uh, the station would do these commercials and Eddie would put together the shows because he had these nights in the record pool and everybody knows what record pool is, right? Well, I'm sure you've taught them by now what a record pool is.
0: (laughs) Well, let's get them, let's hear it from you, my friend. Okay, break it down.
1: A record pool, you know, uh, there were DJs uh, who played in clubs, and the DJs that played in clubs, they would uh, pay a fee to this organization, and uh, it's called a record pool, and the record pool would get promos from major labels, and independent labels everywhere, and you would pay this monthly fee, and you would get about, let's say, 30 records a month. 30, 40 records a month in a box. You know, but you have to do your feedback. And you you know, you, do, you know, They would have these feedback sheets and these listening sessions. Actually, Eddie Rivera, he was popular for that because he do, did these Monday night feedback sessions.
0: That's right. Monday night. Yeah, I remember that.
1: A dope system in his what? big loft. And he would just, all the DJs would come together. He had about 125 DJs. That's right. So, so I was not only in the staff working uh, to put the shows together with, of course, the whole Crew, I was, you know, uh, I, w- I was driving the artists. I was, I, I'll never forget, I picked up Fonda Ray, I wow. picked up um, Unlimited Touch, uh, the band, um, some of the band members, no, uh, don't do me no favors, what, what group is
0: Anthony that? Mallor, Anthony uh, Malloy, um, Anthony Temper, Anthony Malloy.
1: Um, goodness. Uh, I, was, I, w- I was driving around and, and picking up the artists and bringing them to perform and I was driving the band because I had a license, you know, of course, at, at that time. And... um. Then during the day, I would work in the record pool to put all the records in the bins. Like you had what I have back here. You know, imagine having 125 of
0: these. They were losing you, brother. Hang on. You, I think we lost. There you are. Okay. We, I think we lost where you. Hey, turn your mic back on. Your mic shut down. I asked from you. Okay let me let me pick it up from where we left lost you we, you said i was the one who had the license and the keys you would drive around the artists and then it, it, we, you, you
1: i was the them. one who had a i mean i was one of the guys who had a, a a driver's license so i would pick up the artists bring them to perform and then bring them back you know i would also help to set up in the early mornings so um then during the week I, uh, I got a regular job at the record pool and I was the one putting the records in for the DJs. So imagine having 125 of these things I have back here, you know, and everyone has a DJ's name, you know, and it's 125 DJs that played in the tri-state area, clubs and mobile DJs, whatever, you know, these are DJs that were paying their monthly fees and doing their feedback and doing all that. So I worked in the record pool under Dennis Rivera, right,
0: who,
1: who uh, ran the record pool. and. um I would give the DJs their records. So I was meeting a lot of DJs and it was so cool because, you know, I was already DJing, but I was meeting other DJs and I was DJs that were doing things. And wow. It was like one of the DJs was in Mandrill, the group. Right. Um, oh, wow. And um, there was another one, Don Welch. Don Welch was who <laughs> I met later on in the years. You know, he was in the record pool too. That's you know, right. And yeah. There was a lot of, uh, 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 amazing DJs that were in the pool. And, um, but, so I would meet them every week because they would come pick up their records.
0: Really, how you know, important was it back in the day to be in a record pool? How important was that? Tell people. That yeah. was like crazy, man. We were dying to get a record pool, remember?
1: Everybody wanted to be in a record pool, of course, but you had to work in a club. Right. You know, legitimate club. Or you had to be a mobile DJ, but not just a normal mobile DJ. You had to have like some serious work behind you.
0: Like what you were doing <laughs> at the parties. Big numbers of people.
1: Especially that. Well, I don't know because. Well, yeah, I was steady in '85 up, but you know, we're talking '84 when I was in the record pool. I worked there for like a year, so um, you know. But but I wasn't uh, consistently working where I could be in a pool like that. But since I worked in the pool, of course, I got my my box of records. You know.
0: Right.
1: <laughs> but um, you know, it w- it was cool. You met a lot of people, especially those Monday night feedback parties. They were, uh, you know, Columbia records would come and they would bring us super dope artists that you would never think you would meet uh, to come perform there or they would you know, come there to meet the DJs and, and, and get feedback on their hot new song out, you know, and stuff like that. You know, so um, it, it was really a wonderful, uh, you know, environment. It was very social, you know what I'm saying? Um, he, there were two big record, the two of the biggest record pools in New York City, I would say it was uh, for the record, which is Judy Weinstein and uh, David Morales, and, you know, um, but they had the, you talking about they had... Creme de creme. creme, de la creme. The creme de la creme of DJs. Um, Larry and yes. Tony Humphreys, like everybody. I, I remember when I met Judy, and she was just telling me, I mean, when I first met Judy, I mean, of course, I know Judy now, I love you, Judy. But you always say, you know, you belong in this record. You yeah. <laughs> <laughs> tell me that all the time. I always say, no, well, man. You say that when you're at the hot
0: spot now, when you're at, she was like, why are you not over here? Yeah, yeah. She's like, she was was saying, why are you not here? I'm like, because you didn't want me, but you couldn't <laughs> say that, you know. You were like, eh, yeah, but you already felt you had allegiance to Eddie, you know, yeah, 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 yeah. or Bobby Davis was the one that opened the doors to you, you know. It's like that. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, no, but you know, yeah, she had the Kremlin. of the creme. It was just watching, seeing the names that were on, on her roster.
0: It was a who's who of of the dance music industry.
1: It's the whole industry was right there, <laughs> but you know Eddie Rivera had, had some dope DJs too. Oh yeah, he just had the you know the, uh, the, the the golden roster, you know. But um, you know, so I just did that for a year, and it wasn't until uh the sometime in '84, um, there was a party for Jocelyn Brown on a Monday night feedback, uh, one of the Monday night feedback parties, and um. Jocelyn Brown came. I, I couldn't believe I met her. I was like, wow, that was the first time I met her. And, sure. um, and Jelly Bean came because he had that big deal with Warner Brothers.
0: Yes. His album uh, deal. Right. was right around that time. Yep.
1: Exactly. And he, he signed Jocelyn Brown as one of his uh, first uh, artists. And, um, when he came down, that's when he met me and said, Hey, you know, I've been hearing a lot about you, man. You know, we're both from the Bronx. And, um, you know i heard you you play great music and you're a great dj and i said well you know and he goes if you ever want to come into the studio and you know just sit in the back or whatever and just you know check it out you have any questions or whatever uh let me know so you know i wasn't letting that go i was like you know what i'm calling this guy right away how long did it take you to call him how long would you say well, first of all, I gotta I gotta uh, give it up to him because when he was tanned up in the fun house, which is a, an incredible club uh, back mm-hmm. in the eighties, I used to go in the early eighties there. Um, after I went to the Garage in eighty, I I never stopped going to clubs. You know what I'm saying? I went to clubs just to experience all these DJs that were amazing. You know, because I'll tell you, the DJs. There's there was a lot
0: of great talent back then.
1: Yes, yes, yes. And um, you know when um I I used to sit in that bass bottom in mean, that club and just hear him play and. You know, you look up in the booth and you see, you know, Madonna hanging out there when they were a couple at the time. And you hear um, you know, um, you see Arthur Baker giving him a reel to reel. I mean, you saw a new order hanging out there. I mean, it was mind blowing. And then to to know that I met him later on, you know, uh it it, it was really uh
0: Were you starstruck by him at first? Did yeah, that feeling—that feeling of being yeah. be starstruck, because that's how I felt with a lot of those guys when you first of course, met them.
1: Of course, man. Listen, you're buying somebody's music, um, right? You know what I'm saying? Uh, who who has made amazing music for for so many years? You know, for a number of years, and um, you you're you're seeing them play in a club in a, in a dream club with an incredible sound system. Um, and you know, you you're seeing them do their thing too. You know what I'm saying? And and um, for me to to meet him in person and to see that he was giving me a little props, a little bit of props for what I was doing at the time was cool. And then to invite me to his place of work, you know what I'm saying? And, and, and where he creates, you know, so I was like, wow. So, you know, um, and, You go running,
0: where's this and what, what was going on? Break this down. Bring us right into that session. Who, what,
1: where, where? Listen, listen um, <laughs> well, you know, the thing is that, Right after that party, when we had met, we started hanging out and talking a lot. And then he took me under his wing at that time. So he introduced me to a lot of people. You know, at the same time, I'm working with the Latin Rascals. We're making music. It's, we, we, you know, we're in 85 right now. You know, when I'm at the devil's nest, you know. Um,
0: so you're making music and you're breaking it at the same time. Because I know that was always your style. You're yes. making it and you're breaking it. That's how you roll. Mm-hmm. You've always been that way from what I remember.
1: Yeah, and I think, you know, the thing is that there's an art to, you know, um, when you're breaking a record, you know, first of all, every DJ has their own style. You know, every DJ has their own thing and how they, you know, um, get people into music. Because in those days, we used to get people into it, you know, because there could be records that would clear the floor when you were played in the beginning. But once the way you play it and how, you know, how um, you present it, you know, within your set, and, and, then, and then you play it again later on, and then you play by that third time, they're singing that hook, then you know you've done something right. You know what I'm saying? It's like, that, that's, uh, or, or that floor just erupts, you know, that, that, that's how you, you kind of know. And those what times, a
0: high. I don't care what drug you're on. You don't yeah. need to be on a drug with that. That's a drug in itself to get that, extent. knowing that you made that record and that crowd gives you that love back yeah, yeah. and they scream. You know that feeling.
1: So you know, so you know, so so Jellybean. The first thing he did was he was like, you know, I want to get you to, you know, maybe you can get to mix some records and stuff like that, you know. But um, at the same time, I'm working with the Latin Rascals. Uh, when I'm playing at the club, you know, people bringing me music, and then I met Joey Gardner, and Joey Gardner worked at Tommy Boy Records, and he managed TKA. Okay. So so Joey Gardner uh, comes to me and says, hey, you know, I want you to do a remix on a record. I said a, a remix. I said, you know, what am I gonna do? <laughs> i didn't know i'm like what am i gonna do he goes man well listen right now you just let's go into the studio it's gonna be a great engineer and um you're gonna listen to the tracks and and tell them what you know what you hear more of what you hear less of you know just uh it was pretty basic okay it was interesting because when i went to the you know i was already you know checking out you know, I went to see Arthur Baker in the studio, the Latin Rascals when they were working with Arthur Baker. I was in the studio with Andy Panda, checking him out. I was um, you know, just and then Jelly Bean. So then I said, you know what? I'm watching all these guys doing what they do. I said, let me, let me, let me, uh, let me see what I hear. Let me let's do it. You know, so it was Tommy Boy Records, you know, uh, and the first song that I ever mixed was a song called Running by Information Society. <laughs> that was it, yeah. Yes. Larry LeVant, everybody killed that record. but woo. I didn't know Larry LeVant played that record, but it, it was a pretty big record. It was a pretty big so record. Yes. The thing is that I just, what I, what I was doing was I, I thought to myself, okay, well, I got to bring out the best elements in this record. And I, when I heard the record, I said, man, listen to these toms, these 808 hi-hats. How come they're not up? It's, it's so buried. It's like you don't feel it. I said, let's bring them up. Let's bring them up. And, you know, I was just bringing up things. I said, you know, I hear a little more low end on this. I started already hearing that stuff from, I guess, playing in clubs and watching the other guys, you know what I'm saying, in the studio. Um, pretty much bringing up what I wanted to hear. And, of course, I knew about arrangement. That was my thing, you know, so because of playing music. And right. Musical background. So... um, the, But the engineer, let's give it up to Eric Calvey. I mean, you know, you're talking about... Oh, yeah. Uh, dope. Oh, uh, yeah. engineers. Yeah. I mean, he, well, he was the engineer on running, so I couldn't go wrong. I had the right engineer right there, you know. Who,
0: were you so, nervous? Like, I mean, were you nervous walking to that first session controlling the helm? In- Seriously.
1: Or- well, you know, I, I did. I wasn't nervous because I went to, it was in Tom Silverman's apartment. In, it was in the 90s in uh, New York City. Right, I'm talking about 90s, the streets. So.
0: Right. Not, no, because that's the 80s, that record. I, know. I was going to say. Yeah, no,
1: no, no. It's uh, in, the, in the 90s, 96th Street, 97th Street, whatever. Somewhere around there. I mean, I could say it now because you don't, definitely don't live there no more. <laughs> but <laughs> but um, it was a high-riser. And, yep. um you know, I went into the studio. He had a really wonderful studio in his house because by that time he already put out Planet Rock, Force MDs. I mean, he had. Oh hit. yeah, yeah, huge, huge. '85, you know, when I went in. So, um, when I went uh to mix the records, you know, did my thing there with Joey Gardner, of course, he was there too. We were together and and Eric Calvi, the uh, engineer. Um, so I wasn't that nervous, it was really comfortable, and Tom Silverman was really welcoming, he was really nice when, you know, when I came in and stuff, and, you know, uh, everybody was really down to earth and humble, so, you know, I was humbled by all that, you know, I gotta say, but um, when we finished the the, the record, and, and, you know, uh, the group had this, like, Sort of like a sample live feel, all these sounds going in and out, and it was Paul Rob, genius Paul Rob, uh, producer who produced Information Society and Noel and all these other groups. Um, you know, I, I just brought out those elements, and and I said, you know what, man, we need some dope edits. I got to go to my boys, the Latin Rascals, and that's when I uh, uh, I called up the the fellas and and uh, I mean uh, Albert um, Cabrera and um, Tony Moran and and um, I sat with them through hours, you know, I'm talking about a whole night to the next day and then the next day to next, you know, just to do these edits for this record. And it came out so awesome. And then it came time to play the record. And when I played it at the devil's nest, the place erupted, man. It was incredible, you know. Um, And then that's when we said, okay, well, you know, Sal said we got to have this group here. And we had Information Society perform live there. And there was lines, I'm talking about in the Bronx, around the block, you know, both sides and on the roof of the club, like people were just wanting to get in. It was like Andy Patton and Sal were like fighting the crowd off, like, please, you know, whatever, you know, with, with their <laughs> security. It was just crazy. And I'm in there downstairs playing. It was, it was a low level club. Right. You know, but, um, you know, um. Even when the group came, they were like, "We're going to the Bronx." Oh my goodness! They were from uh, what Minneapolis, I think they are from Minneapolis. Yeah,
0: Midwest, I remember. And um, you
1: know, they were blown away
0: by. Well, oh, because in the beginning, those days when you said the Bronx, bro, everybody thought it was bad, like really bad. Now you know they're not thinking, you know, like now things are different back then. The neighborhoods were rough. Some of the neighborhoods you went into.
1: Oh no, they were rough. Yeah, the neighborhood definitely was definitely rough. where the devil! I
0: remember there. how rough they, that area was. Rough at night. Yeah, yeah, it was. It was rough. So I can yeah. understand these these white cats coming in from Minneapolis, going going to pokey down Bronx. They're thinking South Bronx. They've been watching those films with the buildings burning. Yeah, 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 you know. They're thinking, oh, it's gonna be. We're gonna be safe. Don't worry. You know, everything's gonna be cool.